This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and a big go-to grandma. Welcome to season three. Technically, this is episode 106. I'm so excited to be launching this new season on Zoomer Radio on Saturday, August the 19th, 2023. I'm your go-to grandma, Kathy Buckworth, and thanks for being here today. If you haven't had the chance to listen to our first two seasons, you can find them on the Go-To Grandma podcast anytime, anywhere. This is a magazine-style show. We always have two feature interviews, one-on-one with fantastic guest experts, and one five-minute sponsored chat with the show's title sponsor, RBC. While the show is called Go To Grandma, and we look at the topics we cover through that lens, there's something for everyone as we cover topics like technology, travel, fitness, nutrition, social media, relationships, the arts, and so much more. Who am I? I'm your host, the author of six parenting books, proud mom of four grown children, and even prouder grandma to three little grandchildren. I'm so grateful to my daughter for providing the third grandchild for the symmetry of season three. I wonder if she and I are up for a fourth. We'll see. Anyway, on with the show. Today's episode has two strong and smart women to start this season off right. Allison Schaefer is a frequent guest of Go-To Grandma, and today this family therapist and best-selling author is covering what you might think is an interesting choice for the first episode of a new season of a show that's about grandparenting. I've heard that not all grandparents are thrilled about being grandparents. I know, right? Who are these people? Well, there's nothing definitively wrong with them, according to Allison. She shares some reasons why a new grandparent might not be over the moon and how the relationship between those grandparents, their kids, and their grandkids can evolve and be satisfying for all involved. Then we move on to another hot topic. No, it's not hot flashes, but it is something that is uncomfortable and painful for women of a certain age. Business leader Karen Shulman Dupuy recently completed her master's degree research on the career disruption that happens for women aged 40 to 64 due to gendered ageism. She'll tell us what her research uncovered and what women need to know about recognizing gender ageism as they age in the workplace. And stay tuned for our Take 5 with RBC interview, which always provides us with financial advice we can use right away. This week, we take a look at the first home savings account. It's a packed show, so I'm just going to grab my coffee and hope that you have your own way to power up as we get into this powerful episode. You're listening to Go To Grandma, and Allison Schaefer is up first. Allison Schaefer is a family counselor and parenting expert. She is the author of several books, including Honey, I Wrecked the Kids. She is the host of the podcast Parenting the Adlerian Way, as well as hosting TV's The Parenting Show. Good morning, Allison Schaefer. Thanks for being back on GoToGrandma on the first episode of Season 3. Well, I'm absolutely honored, and uh, especially to, to be with the esteemed grandmother herself, Cassie, Cassie oh, Buckworth. Oh, that's me. That's me. Okay, <laughs> so I'm excited for this season. We have so many great fun guests, yourself included. You've been on a few episodes before with me. And today we're going to tackle sort of, I found this topic kind of interesting slash funny. Allison, there are people out there who aren't thrilled about spending time with their grandkids. Do you know about this? I do know about this. And I know for people like you and me who are like, thrilled with the idea of hanging around with our little people. It seems strange and odd, but we have to make space for the fact that there are some people that aren't part of that fun club 
And there's a host of reasons for that, but they do exist. They're on the planet and we have to deal with them. So what would be some of the reasons that a grandparent maybe isn't as interested in their in their grandkids' lives? So it's a, it's a range. I'll give you a range of reasons sure. and then a range of interest as well. So, you know, a range of reasons can be somebody who's maybe just still dealing with their self-identity of hitting middle age and becoming a grandmother mm-hmm. and not identifying with the stereotype of the gray-haired lady who's supposed to knit all day and hang out with their grandkids. And they're still going to yoga classes and kind of can't get their head around the fact that they've got this new role. I think for many others, we're actually sort of parenting younger and healthier. And some surveys said that a third of grandparents actually said that they just really envisioned a life with just less family responsibilities. Hmm. They're kind of just saying, yeah, like, you know, I'll, 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 I'll show up, like, I'll, I'll be a grandma, but like, now I've got tickets to go cruise in Greece and I'm going scuba diving. Uh, you know, I'm not going to change my plans because I already spent so much of my life giving to the family, giving in the workplace, give, 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 give. This is my time of life then I'm going to organize my priorities a little differently. So you might be a little lower on the pecking order, but they're still interested. Now, that's very different from people who, what I would say, probably struggled with relationships throughout their life. And this could just range from uh, people that are sort of controlling and need to take charge and they find kids to be a bother and annoying, people who maybe are narcissistic. If you were narcissistic in your 20s and you never got support around it or borderline, you're going to carry that trait and those personality things all the way through, and that's going to make parenting difficult. It's going to make grandparenting difficult. So there's people who've just always struggled with relationships, and grandparenting is sort of no different. And so, yeah, those could end up being the difference between kind of being indifferent to actually cold and rejecting. So there's a real range there. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that um, about sort of your self-identity. Erin Davis, who's been on the show quite a few times, one of the first interviews I did with her, she said she's now embarrassed that she was sort of not thrilled about having to announce to people that she was a grandma because she's like, I'm not a grandma. You know, it was just, and she said getting over that hurdle was actually a little bit tough for her. Yeah. You know what I love about Erin? She's, she's such a high discloser. She, she mm-hmm. really does tell it all, and I, I do appreciate that. And, yeah, that can be like a, hurt, a little kind of dirty secret because we do carry these sort of stereotypes that if you're a grandma, aren't you supposed to want to be, ba- you know, bouncing that baby on your knee and reading stories and wanting to babysit all the time, live around the corner? And that's just not for everybody. So what if that is the situation? If you're the parent, how can you buffer your child from not feeling hurt or rejected if they see, you know, other grandparents doing special granddad days or, you know, turning up at everything? How do you talk to your child about that? Well, I think generally parents are more hurt and rejected Mm -hmm. about the lack of engagement that their parents, the lack of interest their parents are uh, giving to their kids. Kids, remember, they're just starting to understand life and they know no other. They don't never had a relationship with their grandparents. So they're trying to figure it out. Uh, if, if they're highly rejecting or if you have one very engaged set of grandparents on one side of the family and then highly absent on the other side, then kids could feel a little bit hurt. Um, parents will have to do a little bit of job of explaining all the different ways that people show love and do love and why they can and can't do things. So I think we have to spin a positive narrative. Much like divorce, you never throw your ex under the bus. So I wouldn't throw grandma and grandpa under the bus. (laughs) But um, it's more dealing with our own 
a feeling of sort of disappointment and hurt as parents. We, we probably take the bigger psychological right. blow in all of that. Yeah. So we need to process it ourselves, really. And part of that processing might be, well, you know, I'm just going to I'm going to force my parents to come over and spend time with their grandkids. Good idea. Bad idea. What do you think? So the, here's the thing. Any forced relationship is not truly a relationship, if you think about it. You mm-hmm. know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things you can force, but you kind of can't force love. I'd rather have the genuine feeling when they're there, because if you force them and they show up, not unlike children who you force to go to a family movie when they didn't want to, they'll ruin the good time. Right. Grandparents are just as bad as making the snarky comment, you know, rolling the eyeballs. Um, hushing the kids, whatever it might be, those cold feelings are now going to be experienced lifetime. And I think it's a lot easier to say grandma and grandpa are busy, they've got other things, you know, sorry, they can't be with you as much as they would like, than to actually have them present and sort of acting in a hostile, resentful, rejecting way. Like grandma and grandpa were here the whole weekend and they never wanted to see my puppet show or ask me about my report card or, you know, they didn't seem interested in me. I think that experience would probably be more psychologically hurtful for a child than, oh, you know, something else took priority over my birthday and they can't make it this year. So I wouldn't force. I would encourage. I might say, like, we really love you. We always have such a special time when we're there. And maybe we shake up how we get together. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we did this a lot over the um, pandemic, right? Maybe it's a three-minute FaceTime where you blow out the candles together as opposed to them trucking across town and sleeping in your guest room and find maybe a formula that is a little bit more of a sweet spot for what they can tolerate and still kind of put on their hopefully happy social face <laughs> and not being overwhelming for either party. I think that's a great suggestion in terms of, because often if you live sort of an hour or two away, it is it can be a big deal, right, to get together, especially if we're talking about those grandparents who maybe are still working, are still actively involved in their community, et cetera. And it's like, this is something they have to put in their schedule. Let's make it easy, right, to have the relationship. And I think a Zoom call is a really great idea. You know, when my kids were little, we would just spend the summer at the cottage and mm-hmm. my dad would come down for the day and I would always try to encourage him that we'll free up a space so he can stay over instead of having to go by a boat in the car and back to his place. And then I realized he's tired. Like right. he loves being here for this amount of time. And I had to realize, you know, he's not checking out for lack of love. It's just overwhelming. Kids are loud. They are rambunctious. They do drain your energy. And you sort of forget that it's okay for for them to slow down and to be creatures of routines and habits. He wants to go and watch whatever his Agatha Christie thing on the show Mm -hmm. and have his copy and his robe before tucking in. And that doesn't mean he doesn't love my kids. just means, you know, you you get old, you get into your routines and your ways. Exactly. And my father-in-law used to say, I'm 92, I'm doing whatever I want. So this is what it comes down to sometimes. I've earned this badge. Exactly. (laughs) As always, Allison, learn so much great information from you. We can find Allison Schaefer online at A-L-Y-S-O-N-S-C-H-A-F-E-R, AllisonSchaefer.com on the social as well as your Adlerian podcast, Parenting the Adlerian Way, which I encourage everyone to listen to as well. Thanks so much for being a part of the show again this season. Thank you. Happy season three, Kathy. Keep doing what you're doing. Karen Shulman Dupuis is an interdisciplinary senior leader in leadership, strategy, operations, and marketing. With 20 plus years of experience, she's held influential positions in startups and enterprises from director to COO. Currently, she is VP of Advocacy and Impact for the Canadian Women's Chamber of Commerce. In her master's research titled Women Disrupted, Karen looked at the question of career disruption for women 40 plus due to gendered ageism. 
Good morning, Karen Shulman Dupuy, or Karen SD, as I know you. Thanks for coming in studio today. Very happy to be here. Thanks for holding space for me. No problem. So this is a fascinating topic, and I know you you finished your master's um, research on this topic, so it must mm. have fascinated you also. <laughs> I'm just going to read a little, a couple of quotes here. Ageism at work starts at 40 for women and at 45 for men. Mm-hmm. And workers over the age of 55 are the fastest growing population of workers. So a little bit of a dichotomy there for women (laughs) in particular. Am I right? right? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. You know, like most researchers, you come to a question because you're experiencing it yourself. And so uh, I found that I left, you know, a role in Toronto where I was referred to as the most connected person in Toronto. And then I couldn't get a job. And, you know, I wasn't getting interviews and I wasn't getting calls in. And then I was talking to women who were amongst my cohort and, you know, just chatting with friends and whatnot and getting updates. And I kept hearing all of these stories about, you know, I'm getting ghosted at work. I'm not getting promoted. I'm getting exited. And I was like, is this, you know, this this isn't just a me thing, you know. Right. And uh, so I, that's when I started looking at the question. And then it really just kind of evolved through my master's research. The most connected person can't get connected for <laughs> yeah, a job. It's truly, kind of crazy, truly. right? Actually, I joke about I'm the only Canadian woman in media that's allowed to age because my show has grandma in the title. <laughs> anyway, so what was the most surprising thing you uncovered in your research? So what really surprised me is that because women experience gendered ageism in the workplace, they often turn to entrepreneurship out of necessity. And they do it not because they want to, but because they have to. And from that, uh, what I realized, the really fascinating piece was out of, uh, so 80% of the people that I interviewed turned to entrepreneurship. 100% of those people did not call themselves an entrepreneur. Oh, wow. Wow. So just, it was, as you say, out of necessity. It's just what they had to do. Absolutely. But they called themselves a freelancer. I'm a consultant. I started a franchise, you know, or I'm a creative, whatever. But they just didn't call themselves entrepreneur. So you have all of this policy and all of this, you know, innovation agenda dollars going towards startups and small businesses. But women don't see themselves in that policy because they don't call themselves entrepreneurs. So there's a disconnect between these systems that are, are, you know, driving our economic development and how it enables women or really creates greater barriers for them to engage. So interesting. Um, are there myths that you'd like to bust about women and entrepreneurship? Yeah, women are not averse to risk. And actually, if you look at the literature, uh, you know, from from gray literature, which is like the mainstream, you know, Forbes and, and, and the like, or if you get more into the academic side of things as well, organizations that have women leading them perform better in almost every single metric. And it's fascinating to me that all of, like, whether you, it's mostly when I'm talking about this, it's really kind of more major enterprises, major corporations. It's fascinating to me that these organizations are allowing decades of deep domain knowledge and expertise to walk out the door or they're booting them out the door. So there's a cost to the enterprise, which is another question that I would love to investigate one day, Mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll find funding to be able to do that. But that they're losing all of this knowledge. So from a knowledge capture for organizations, you know, you have all of these women who have such deep, rich experience, uh, and it's just being punted out the door. So when it comes to like, you know, risk aversion, women are not risk averse. You know, they take on risk literally every single day of their lives. Um, so that's one of the big myths that I did want to kind of debunk. And you, your research focused on women in Hamilton, is that right? Which is where you're from. It is. It is. Yeah. So I mean, grew up in Toronto. 
Toronto, always a Toronto girl, but moved to Hamilton about seven years ago. And uh, so took the opportunity to work with the YWCA can, uh, in Hamilton with Denise Christofferson, who's a phenomenal woman, a phenomenal leader. And, you know, and engaged with the Small Business Enterprise Centre and the local chamber and uh, the Innovation Factory as well. And so, you know, this was kind of an ecosystem that is responsible for enabling people to, you know, launch businesses. And I wanted to see how could this system better respond to the needs of these women? And how can it? <laughs> I hope you have an answer for me. Well, I have some. Okay. Um, I think first thing is, is that an ecosystem like a, that that is, you know, tied, but, you know, tethered to each other, but not necessarily directly engaging with one another. They need to engage with one another. In systems theory and complexity theory, it says, you know, if you want to heal a system, you have to connect it back to itself. And so the more interaction you have and the more intentional engagement you have amongst those players really has a huge uh, impact on the possibilities when you're also not duplicating efforts, you're not duplicating systems or, or duplicating, you know, programming and the like. Um, so that collaborative piece is really important. Also, language really matters, right? There because women don't identify themselves as entrepreneurs, all of these programs that are out there that are like, you know, build your business, entrepreneurs, startup, does not resonate. So none of these women see themselves reflected in those programs. So therefore, they don't avail themselves to those programs. That's so interesting. Do you feel that these women are maybe more in survival mode than entrepreneurial mode? Do you know what I mean? They, they're looking for the work and the... Yeah, the money and yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, entrepreneurship is hard enough. Yeah, right? yeah. And so, uh, you know, you need networks and you need systems of support. And when you're not availed to that, or you feel like you're not welcome in those mm-hmm. environments, and let's be very clear, there's a lot of these environments that are not welcoming to women, especially women of a certain age. You know, then um, they don't get access to that. So that means they're also not getting access to capital, mm-hmm. right? That means that they're not getting access to the networks of people that you know their male colleagues have, and so that has a, a detriment impact. And so, you know, we need to be able to help these systems, I would hope, you know, work together and collaborate better so that they can better support and enable these women. So what do you want women to know about recognizing gendered ageism as they age in the workplace? Oh, my God. I just want them to know it's a thing. It's right. like the same thing that I talk about perimenopause every time to younger women. I'm like, it's a thing and it's coming. It's real. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and that was like life changing for me to have that realization about that subject. But this is also a really important subject. And I really I, I try to talk about it so that women don't feel gaslit. You know, so that they can recognize it when it's happening and they can identify it so they can, you know, better prepare themselves for it, shore themselves up for it and, you know, maybe have an exit strategy that works for them as well. Yeah, I think recognizing the issue or the problem is, is a big part of it, as you've said, right? And, and recognizing that entrepreneurial part as well. Yeah, it's an opportunity for sure. But, you know, uh, I think part of it is also that women have such a deep domain knowledge that we want to be able to help them identify the fact that they probably have an answer to a question that probably probably impacts an industry or a sector. And, you know, they can build a business out of that. And so many women don't realize that that's an actual viable thing. And I think what happens maybe too is, you know, we hear about being invisible when we're, you Mm. know, over a certain age. And because we feel invisible, then we don't recognize ourselves not being visible, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. In the workplace. Yeah, and it's exhausting. It is exhausting. It's exhausting exhausting trying to order a meal in a restaurant (laughs) and it's exhausting in the workplace. It truly is. I've learned so much from this, Karen. If people want to find out more about you and your research, of course, they can go to karensd.ca or socialdesign.ltd, and you're all over social media. We were joking, you're on everything. Yep. It's amazing. Yep. On Twitter, Instagram, threads, Facebook, all Karen SD. It's so nice to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much for having me here.
Rachel Meggett is Vice President Term Investments and Savings and RBC Investees and part of the team behind the RBC First Home Savings Account. Good morning, Rachel. Thank you for being part of our Take 5 with RBC interview series. Thanks so much for having me, Kathy. So you have described to me the early uptake of the RBC FHSA as phenomenal. Why is that? It's a great question, and I think that there's really no better word to use than phenomenal. When we launched our RBC FHSA in April in both our branches and for clients to open accounts directly themselves through either RBC Direct Investing and RBC Investees, in just four months, we have seen Canadians open tens of thousands of our FHSAs. So just to underpin that with a little bit more data, we've seen more than a quarter of RBC FHSA holders have contributed about the maximum or almost the maximum amount of $8,000, taking the most advantage they can of this year's tax deduction. And of that, about 56% of our FHSA holders are between the ages of 25 to 34. And we've also seen really great adoption amongst individuals 18 to 24. Wow. So what makes an FHSA different from other registered accounts? Isn't there already a home buyer's plan? There is indeed. So what is great about the FHSA is it actually combines some of the best features of our already existing registered accounts. So the best way to think about it is the money goes into the account like an RRSP and it comes out like a TFSA. So what that means is when you make your contribution, similar to your RRSP, when you put money into your FHSA, you'll get a tax receipt, so a tax deduction for that fiscal year. And similar to the TFSA, when you make a withdrawal in order to purchase your first dream home, that withdrawal is also tax-free. And to your point about the first, the excuse me, the home buyer's plan, there is a home buyer's plan in place where you can withdraw up to $35,000 tax-free and without penalty from your RRSP to put towards a home. Now, where the home buyer's plan and the FHSA really diverge is that the use of that home buyer's plan is considered a loan. So you have to repay within 15 years the amount that you have withdrawn to put towards your first home, whereas you don't have to do that for the FHSA. You're just making the withdrawal and the down payment. You can, though, actually combine those two account types, the FHSA and home buyer's plan, to really maximize your savings and your down payment when you find your dream home. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Anything else our audience might not be aware of or that they should know about FHSAs? One of my favorite selling features, I would say, about the FHSA is what it can mean for future generations. So as a parent, as a grandparent, as a caretaker, as a guardian, when we think about our dependents' futures, one of the things we know that they're going to have to start to plan for and save for is a first home, especially in today's economy. And we can help them with that. So at the age of 18, we can start to help them set up a first home savings account. If they don't have the opportunity to contribute to it themselves, we can contribute to them for them. It'll allow them to actually benefit from that tax deduction because the investment will be in their name and your gift will just grow over time to the point where they find their dream home and they're able to use it to put towards their down payment. The other thing I would add is for anyone else that's interested in finding out more about First Home Savings Account, feel free to visit us at rbc.com forward slash first home. This is great information, especially for us parents who maybe have kids who are having kids and are buying their first homes. This is terrific information to be able to pass on to them. 
I think so. I think it's a really wonderful opportunity for us to think about in the future to set our children and dependents up for success. Thank you so much for this today, Rachel. Thanks, Kathy. If I had known how wonderful it would be to have grandchildren, I'd have had them first, Lois Wise. First things first. Thanks to Allison and Karen for sharing their expertise and knowledge with me today. And of course, thanks to my daughter, Tori Halpin, and her husband, Brayden, for giving me the three best grandchildren, Owen, Cam, and Sloan. Truth be told, I'm actually glad I had my four kids first, because now I get to see what wonderful parents they are and will be. Next week on GoToGrandma, we are going traveling. I'm going to tell you all about my ocean liner cruise experience with Cunard to the Norwegian fjords on their newest ship, Queen Victoria. Besides a geography lesson on Norway and what we discovered, I'll update you on the world of cruising. What's changed? What's better? I've been a travel writer for over a decade, so I think I have a good wealth of knowledge to draw upon, including traveling solo a lot of the time. But my experience pales in comparison to Carolyn Ray, or Journey Woman, as she is now known. We'll hear about the history of this extraordinary travel business geared specifically towards solo women travelers over the age of 50. I hope you'll take a trip to the radio dial next Saturday morning to join us. Thanks again for tuning in today. I can't wait to share more guest experts with you this season. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.